0: This is Technically Legal, a podcast about legal technology, innovation in the legal industry, and the impact tech is having on the law. I'm Chad Maine, the founder of legal services company Percipient, And on this episode, I talk to Fergus McDade about Definely, the company he co-founded that helps lawyers automate repetitive tasks when drafting contracts. We hear how the genesis of the company arose from Fergus's visual impairment. Computer programming and practicing law. Two jobs that require a lot of reading and visual work, right? So you'd think that having a visual impairment might hinder the pursuit of either of these occupations. Not so for today's guest, Fergus McDade. From a very early age, Fergus and his sister were diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa, which is a rare disease that slowly breaks down cells in the retina over time, causing vision loss. Until he got to college to study computer science, Fergus's vision was pretty decent, but at university, it began to deteriorate, and ultimately, he pretty much became blind. After college, he landed a couple jobs in big tech with Microsoft and Compaq, but ultimately, he wanted to go to law school. With law degree in hand, Fergus landed two jobs at Magic Circle Firms in London, first at Allen & Overy, and then Freshfields, where he was working on M&A deals. Because Fergus has a visual impairment, he had to figure out home-baked hacks within the software he used, like keyboard shortcuts, to get his work done. It was at Freshfields that Fergus met his Definely co-founder, when the two of them were working on the same deal. As Fergus will tell us, His soon-to-be co-founder was the first colleague that actually took any interest in how Fergus accomplished his work and marveled that it was getting done. The two figured there had to be a better way for Fergus to work on contracts, but when they figured out there wasn't, that's when Definely was born. Definely is a suite of tools that helps lawyers accomplish the tedious tasks that relate to the drafting of contracts. The software consists of three modules. There's Definely Draft, which saves users time by helping them track down definitions and references throughout a contract to make sure they're consistent. Then there's Definely Proofread, this looks for things like missing capital letters and defined words in contracts, and it also makes sure that any redline notes are deleted. Finally, there is Definely PDF. This helps users edit and comment on contracts that are sent in PDF rather than Word, which, if you're a transactional lawyer, you know that can be kind of a pain. As we will hear, Fergus is a pretty impressive dude. When I found out he practiced law at Blind, I knew for sure I wanted to get him on the show and talk about his journey.
1: I was first kind of diagnosed with a retinal degenerative condition when I was around 11 years of age. But the impact then was really quite low in terms of what I could do and what I was able to do. So in that time, I suppose, I was kind of going through school as normal, you know, but I was kind of thinking actually, oh, is there is there something wrong with my eyes, you know, because I couldn't read things. So tried glasses and things like that, and that just didn't kind of work, you know. And I was like, "On okay, there's something more here." And like, my mother actually had known, but she'd never told my sister and I that we actually had this condition. Oh, so your sister had it too? So yeah, my sister, yeah, my sister is also blind. Yeah, um, she lives out in Florida. So when we're going through schooling, we kind of knew we had problems with our eyes, you know, but we didn't realize actually the severity of it because, you know, my father had died very young. Um, I was nine when he died. And I suppose my mother, her thinking behind it was she didn't want us to kind of grow up thinking we're somehow limited, which has its advantages too. Um, I suppose in the disabled community, it would be quite a controversial decision because, you know, some might say, well, actually we might have been better prepared for the general working alive had we developed the tools and the skills much younger knowing where the condition leads to Um so it's kind of one of those things you, you never know what the right decision is um do you tell somebody do you not tell them do you let them carry on until they have to learn to adapt and i think that was kind of where that thinking was so for me First, started to kind of impact me when I was doing my history degree at, at Trinity in Dublin. But up until that time, did you have basically
0: not full sight per se, but
1: you had some level of sight? Yeah, absolutely, Chad. Like up until that time, like, you know, I used to play football and rugby and hurling and and all those kind of sports that you would do, you know, as, as a regular kid and was an avid reader, you know, like always loved reading. It was always one of my big things even as a kid. And that slowly, I suppose, started to get more and more limited as I hit my 20s. Like by the time I was finishing my history degree, I needed like, let's say, a large monitor and reverse contrast.
0: What advanced the severity of the impairment? Is it just like age? Like for all of us, we suffer macular degeneration or was it something specific around your
1: 20s that happened? No, it's just as part of the degenerative process with the mutation that I have in the gene. Like there's uh, about maybe 300 genes that are potential mutations that are known to cause different retinal degenerations and they're categorized into a bank of degenerative conditions known as retinitis pigmentosa so what happens is over time the photoreceptors in the retina like the cones and the rods start to deteriorate and as they deteriorate your ability to process light obviously goes with that you know so at first if you imagine like a really useful way it was described to me at first is like if you imagine like you've got a mosaic on a wall And the mosaic, let's say, is made up of like 10,000 small little tiles. And you can see the whole picture. Like, if you imagine you slowly start removing some of those tiles, like you can still see the whole image, even let's say if a hundred of those small tiles are missing. But eventually you reach kind of a tipping point where as you remove more and more tiles or as more and more photoreceptors degenerate, that starts to become more patchy. And eventually you end up not really being able to see the whole image, but just parts of the image. So by the time you start studying
0: for your graduate degree in computer science, 100% is full vision. Where are you vision-wise when you start your studies?
1: Maybe around like 65. You're still able to use the computer and work code. Yeah, yeah, except I'm using like, you know, things like inverted contrast on the screen or I'm using a large monitor. For doing the reading. But other than that, I could read unassisted. But by that time, I had pretty much lost the ability to read regular print on paper.
0: So then, why computer science? I'm going to get to law because you know that question's coming,
1: but why computer science? Because that's but it's just visual. And it goes back to that earlier story about my mother. You know, I think part of it was because I didn't necessarily appreciate the limitations or how much sight I would lose in what amount of time. So I was kind of like, this is something I want to do. It's something I want to learn about. It was the late 90s. It seemed like a very good, a lot of careers were moving into IT and I was still able to do it. But I wasn't really thinking beyond, you know, like three, five 10 years, like still the hubris of youth.
0: It's something that serves you well as a, a founder too, is <laughs> hubris and, you know, or
1: ignorance. You yeah, know, yeah. <laughs> 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 Or ignorance. Yeah, exactly. You know, but it was something that like, yeah, it was something that like, you know, I thought this is potentially a good career path. And I suppose I didn't really fully appreciate how much more difficult things might become depending on the sight loss. And plus, with the side loss, it's very difficult to predict when it may deteriorate. So it can deteriorate over a year or two quite rapidly, and then you'd have like a plateau for a good number of years. So I suppose, yeah, that, that was where I was coming from with that. So at some point around that time
0: or thereafter, you meet your wife, who's from California, and you end up, if I remember correctly, in London, is that
1: right, after you get married? Uh, yeah, there's a step in between there too. Like After I did the grad dip in computer science, I actually ended up I was working at Microsoft in Compaq for about three, four years. And it was kind of during that time towards the latter end that it became just physically really difficult to do what I was doing. And the technology still wasn't exactly there in order to be able to kind of pursue or support that career fully. So I kind of thought, Okay, here I'm in my mid-20s is probably a good time for some kind of career change because I don't see myself being able to do this the rest of my life.
0: You end up in London and that's where you start going to law school and your wife helps you. And I think I heard you say, maybe she deserves the degree too, right?
1: Because she helped you with your studies. (laughs) Yeah, she deserves a huge amount of it. Because again, like I was looking at things and, you know, the technology looked like it was coming along in terms of text-to-speech. And I thought, okay, well, I know that there's text-to-speech engines out there now. And I learned more about them. And I kind of felt that, well, if it is text-to-speech, then of course, you know, I'm going to be able to read stuff. Um, it turned out, though, that text-to-speech was still quite young in a sophisticated way. And it turned out that a lot of the text that I was getting in digital form at the time was all PDF, which was also very difficult for the text-to-speech engines to handle. So with that, then, you know, my wife ended up having to do <laughs> you know, a, lot of, uh, a lot of reading and recording. So, Which leads me to the question, and not, not that... I I think it's cool
0: and and very admirable you did it, but computer science and and coding obviously requires a lot of text-based activity as you do it. Law. So I think there's a couple things interesting about law. It's all reading. And historically, as you know, as a legal tech founder, tech has not always been on the forefront of of the law, and the law is ready to change. So what was it about the practice of law, the study of law that said, you know, even though it's
1: going to be a little harder on me than others, I still want to do it? That, again, goes back to kind of childhood um, in a lot of ways. My grandmother, she used to always have this nickname. There's a very famous attorney over here in Ireland called the, his surname was Burke. And even as a child, my grandmother was always, she'd always call me the attorney Burke. Like, oh, here's the attorney Burke, <laughs> you know, because I was just a chatty, curious, really interested person in things, you know, and always asking questions. And it just always felt like something very natural for me to want to learn about and do. And I kind of thought technology was moving at a pace that actually it would be quite sustainable in a lot of ways in terms of, yes, PDFs might not be hugely accessible, but Word documents were becoming more and more and more accessible even throughout the time of my degree when I was studying at King's. So I kind of felt that like, if I can read the information, if I can access the information, then I'm going to have some chance of being able to do it. Because, you know, I had taught myself to touch type, so typing wasn't really a problem. So as long as I could get the feedback, I kind of felt I'd be okay.
0: Are you in law school in the early 2000s? You're working at Microsoft, studying in the 90s. Are we in the early 2000s, early aughts?
1: I started my law degree, I think, in 2005. So my career at Microsoft is like, kind of like Microsoft and Compaq. That was like uh, around 1999 to 2003-ish, 2004. And then there was kind of a, a small kind of gap there while I was kind of transitioning out of that career into studying law. So how much better is technology now for those that are visually
0: impaired than it was in 2005 or even 1999
1: when this first... Verse- all kind of started oh my god they're worlds apart like worlds apart i'm able to work and do what i do like even this conversation that i'm having with you now would have been so much more difficult back then just using assistive technology and text to speech it's a huge world of difference like it's not perfect and i have a lot of issues with it but it's still accessible in the sense that you can do your work. I suppose when you want to look at things, I think in that movement or that kind of area of things, I think what you find for me is that a lot of the um, issues I have actually is around workflow. It's not necessarily around being able to access the information.
0: What do you mean by that about
1: workflow? Well, you see, because like, you know, a really simple example would be text to speech engines. Like they look at things in a very linear way when you're reading. So if you imagine, you know, you're looking at your Word document as as you are and you have the ribbon on top, okay, that workflow, like let's say you want to insert a page number for you, you look at that screen, you see the insert tab and you can click it and then you can see visually, you can see across the ribbon and you can see the little part in the groups underneath, you can see the bit that says insert page. And you can click on that and you can read the drop down, And then when you see bottom, you can click the submenu there and you can see then your options, bottom left, middle, bottom right. Now, if you're to take that same workflow and you're to translate that into somebody using a screen reader, what you have is, okay, you have to do Alt-I, and you have to listen to that to know that you've activated the insert tab. And then you have to hit the down button. And then you have to tab across the icons in the ribbon until you hear the page number option. But that requires you having to cycle through all the other things beforehand, okay? And then when you hear the page number drop down, you hit enter, and that expands the menu. And now you have to use your down arrow to scroll down and listen to each option as it's being read out. And then you hear bottom and you hit enter again to open that submenu. And then when you open that submenu, then you're faced with, you have to listen to bottom left, middle, right. And bottom right. So it's not just the options, it's where the options are. Yeah, exactly. But you see, you have to follow a whole linear process of tabbing and whatnot in order to get through there. So, Visually, what might take you four or five seconds to see and do could take me a couple of minutes just to do. And then if things aren't actually labeled properly, then you don't know what it does. So, for example, like, you know, in that exact thing that I mentioned to you about the page number, I hear everything to the submenu that says bottom. And then when I open up that submenu, what I actually hear is classic one Classic two, classic three. So the labeling there doesn't actually tell me whether it's bottom left, middle, or right. So I still need somebody with sight to actually look at that and tell me, yeah, classic three is bottom right.
0: When we come back in just a couple minutes, Fergus fills us in about the hacks he had to use as a blind lawyer doing legal work and how that inspired he and his co-founder to want to finally. We also talk about what it's like to found a company mid-career rather than as a college dropout from a dorm room. I'm Chad Main, and you're listening to Technically Legal.
2: We need to do more with less. That is the key takeaway nowadays from almost every survey of in-house counsel. But what if it didn't have to be that way? What if you actually could do more for less? By combining legal expertise and technology, Percipient enables legal teams to get more work done for less. Buried in contracts and sales is frustrated with turnaround time? We can help with that. Did you just get hit with a subpoena and reviewing 100,000 documents and files will tax your resources or cost you a small fortune in billable hours? We can help there, too. Our team of legal professionals leverage tech and project management principles with the right amount of human oversight to deliver precise, efficient, and cost-effective legal solutions. Whether it's legal operations and contract management support, subpoena compliance, or document review, Percipient is your partner in really doing more for less. Percipient, legal services powered by technology.
0: Hey, everybody. As I always do, I want to let you know if you go to teopodcast.com, there's a dedicated episode page for this episode and every episode that we've done. On those pages, you can find more information about our guests, how to get a hold of them, and also more information about some of the stuff we talk about. If you want to get a hold of me, you can find me on X or LinkedIn or email me at cmainatprecipient.co. That's C-M-A-I-N at So before getting into the law, Fergus had jobs at Microsoft and Compaq. He then went to law school and started working at his second large London law firm, Freshfields. But because he has a visual impairment, he had to create hacks within the software he used to get his work done. And ultimately, these hacks became the genesis of Definely, the legal tech company he would go on to co-found.
1: So one thing I became very familiar with, for example, was how to customize shortcuts in Word. Um, So what you can find is actually, when you go to customize the ribbon in Word, there's a particular option there under the advanced settings. When you customize the ribbon, it enables you to actually set shortcuts. Uh, When you actually learn about that, what you can actually see is that pretty much every single feature in Word you can set a shortcut key for. do things so a really small example of something like that would be for track changes i would have set shortcut keys to move from one insert change to another likewise i'd have set the shortcut key to accept or reject the change so It was just kind of working around creating a lot of manual kind of shortcuts that way. But which, again, is not ideal because like the cognitive load then is additional because you have to try to remember all the shortcuts that you're actually using. Which, again, is part of the access to information in terms of how screen readers work with documents, in particular the Office suite, you know, because the screen reader has all its shortcut keys for doing things with the screen reader, but then you also have to remember what its shortcut keys in Word itself for doing things. So there's this huge load that you're carrying in your mind all the time just to actually achieve certain outcomes.
0: At some point in your practice, though, it's at this point you meet your co-founder and you guys are starting to think about creating Definely. What was the kind of light bulb moment And then fast forward to when was it that it was decided, man, we're going to stop practicing law. We're going to be legal tech entrepreneurs and launch this company.
1: Yeah, that actually is a really lovely story. And it's a part of the story I always really enjoy talking about when I met Namdi, you know, because um, what happened was when I moved to Freshfields, one of the very first transactions that I worked on as a qualified lawyer. Namdi actually was also assigned to that deal and it was the first deal he did at Freshfields as a trainee lawyer. So the two of us were kind of put together in in these kind of very interesting kind of circumstances. And I suppose like for Namdi, I think there was just always this kind of, I suppose maybe he was one of the first people who ever really showed any real interest in like, do you like how are you doing this? You know, exactly. You know, like, you know, like, it was just like, seriously, like, how are you doing this? You know? But do you think
0: others were thinking that? I think most people think that because that's the first thing that came to mind is, man, law. Wow, that's all just reading in computers. And do you think others were reticent
1: to ask? I think some maybe were reticent to ask. I think it's an environment people might see you doing things and, you know, they're not necessarily the quickest kind of, oh, wow, that's actually really impressive that you can even do that. Like back then, there was kind of very much a culture where it's like kind of, you know, the only time you'll know you're doing something is if you're doing something wrong, you know? So (laughs) like you may have, like, I remember one time a partner, I'd asked for feedback. I said, like, is the work okay, you know? And the response was, if it isn't, you will know. (laughs) <laughs> uh, do you see what I mean so yeah. in terms of like you know getting positive reinforcement or positive feedback that way it wasn't necessarily an environment where at the time I think things are probably changing more and more but at the time it wasn't you know something that was like kind of it's not like people would stand back and go wow that's really like some would and then he did he took an interest and MD really did take an interest you know um, and I think that was part of besides the fact that he's he's just a really great guy I think you know that was actually really a huge part of the bonding experience for us you know while we were going through documents and things and he'd be just looking going damn like how are you doing that you know and that's kind of where a lot of the impetus kind of started to kind of get generated behind just us working together you know um, I think Traditionally, so for example, like when you're looking at some of these big legal documents, I suppose, um, traditionally, you'd have, like some of these documents were maybe a couple of hundred pages long. And I suppose when you would look at the traditional kind of workflow of a, a lawyer reading some of these documents, they could be, let's say, on page 170, let's say. They're on Clause 23, it's on page 170. And as they're reading, let's say, Clause 23, they're seeing all these terms that are being used that have been defined in the document itself. So the definitions are specific to that document. And the way like a lawyer would normally handle that was like they would be looking at clause 23 and they'd be reading it. And they'd see these terms being used. And what they would do is a lot of them would have actually a printout of the definitions sitting on their table. So that as they saw them being used on page 170, they would like flick through. The defined terms sitting on their table, and they'd see the meanings,
0: right? And we should explain to these defined terms in a contract. There's a section that states, as they're referred to in this document, these terms
1: mean the following. And you know that it's a defined term because they're capitalized. Correct. Yeah, correct. And also, like what you'll have is like you know, initially at the beginning of the document, you'll have a list of all of those defined terms that are being used in the document. So the reason they typically do that is like if there's something. That they're going to be using more than once throughout the document. They tend to have a definition for that term. So let's say Exit event. Yeah. Ex- yeah, or change of control or secured liabilities or something. And it'll go like, you know, change of control means da dot XYZ, you know? So that you know that anytime the words change of control are being used in that document, they're being used in this specific context. So Depending on the nature of the agreement, you could have, let's say, like facility A means the term loan facility with the aggregate amount of Y. And you know then, when I'm on page 170 and I see something being referred to as facility A because it's got a capital F because it's been defined, typically you would know, okay, that has a meaning somewhere else in the document. Now I need to find where that meaning is so that I know what the facility A is in the context of this provision that I'm reading so typically the way people would look for that is like you know there's usually like kind of three or four kind of bog standard kind of ways that that was being done and that was being done either by having a printout of those defined terms and the meanings of them or people would have a split screen and they would split the screen and they'd leave the definition section on the left side of the screen and on the right side of the screen, they'd be going through the document. So as they would see a defined term being used, they would then go to the left side of the screen and scroll down through the definitions to see what does that mean. Or they would do like control F and they would look for the defined term and then they would have to go back to where they were. Now. I suppose with most people when that's the way you learn how to read the document and to use the document as a as an attorney that's what you're used to you don't necessarily think there is an issue yeah because yeah it's somewhat inefficient but it's not necessarily a problem but when you add somebody like me to the mix and who's visually impaired having to find that information became something that was like grossly inefficient you know because it meant that every time I was trying to find something, because I couldn't read anything on paper, it meant I had to do it somewhere on screen using the screen reader. And one of the biggest issues was the fact that I'd actually always have to lose where I was in the document and then find the meaning and then come back to where I was to read the provision. And Nam Dingsdorn also who noticed that. You know, He was like looking at that going, ah, there has to be a simpler way. Because he could see that every time he he could see me physically working, then he'd see me scrolling back down frantically to get to where I was, you know? And then you're also having to remember what it was that it said. So you had this kind of double-edged thing, you know? Not only are you losing your place, but you're also having to look for it and remember the meaning when you get back to where you were. So he knew my background, you know? And he was like, There has to be something simpler.
0: Obviously, there was, not you guys just decided to
1: do it. Yeah. There's no app for that. So you said, well, there needs to be an app for that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that was really the kind of the light bulb moment was when we started thinking about, well, what would simpler look like? What would simpler for me feel like doing this work? And I remember, like, you know, we're sitting down, I think I— I don't know, we were working on some deal and there was one night. <laughs> it, was, it was quite late, you know, and um, I just was sort like, of got, oh, you know, and I'm dead. if I could just double-click the word and have the meaning appear beside me on the screen, so A, I don't have to look for it, and B, I actually don't lose where I am, and I can just read the meaning in the context of the clause that I'm reviewing.
0: So you're in paragraph 1,452, and you say to yourself, man, if I could just... Click the capitalized change of control, maybe like a hyperlink or something, it would pop
1: up the definition and then you could do. Is, is that what you're thinking? Basically, that's kind of where Chad, that story kind of began then, you know, because actually Namdi is like, Oh, no, that has to exist already. There has to be something for that, you know. And he did the research on it and he looked it up and he was like, Damn, there's actually there's nothing, you know, like this doesn't exist. And it sounds so simple, but actually, nothing like that did actually exist. And I think I'd still dare anybody to find a more efficient way to read the document than that, you know, and then I suppose
0: you could do it on PDF, right? With bookmarks, a billion
1: bookmarks back and forth, right? Yeah, but you'd have to actually go through the process of bookmarking everything in the first place, you know, um, and the thing was, was actually, you know, I suppose when Namdi and I started looking at it more and more, well, actually, there are rules to how these things are defined. You know, there is actually a pattern to how they are defined. So if we could design something that worked within those patterns and could find that, then why should we not be able to just display the information in the document? Because the information is already there. So I think, like, you know, Namdi did that work and we were kinda still working away as lawyers. And I think after we'd asked quite a few people, like, well, what would you think if you could do that, do you think it would make things easier? And everybody to a man or woman were like, Yeah, yeah, that would make things really easy. Doesn't something like that not exist already? Namdi is definitely a much more entrepreneurial, I suppose, spirit than I do. He's probably less risk adverse in that way. I think One way or the other, Namdi is always destined to be an entrepreneur. And I think he was the one who really had the metal to kind of go, I'm going to do this.
0: Do you guys put a prototype together while you were still working at the law firm and a little side hustle?
1: Yeah, Namdi definitely got the prototype put together. And when he did that, I was just like, oh, wow, it actually works. Even though it was buggy and it was whatever, you know? How did you guys create the prototype? Did you hire a dev shop or have a buddy that's a computer science engineer? Or did you do it? You have a coding background. No, my coding background is it was too old for that. No, Namdi Namdi sourced a dev and gave him requirements and the dev put a basic prototype together for us. When that was put together, that I think really though for Namdi was very much that, yeah, okay, I'm going like this is something I, I genuinely think there's a business here. What did it take to convince you? Because you said he's less risk-averse than you. His belief in the fact that I genuinely think we have something here, and his enthusiasm and his belief in it, you know. And I think maybe five or six years working in a magic circle firm, you're just like, okay, let's just let's just do it, let's just <laughs> let's just go. Um, you go, I go, and that's kind of how it went. It was very much his belief in the product. I'd be kidding myself if I said it wasn't that. I think it's a great question. Definitely his faith in it.
0: Let's talk about the product. There's yeah. three aspects to it. There's what you guys call draft. Yeah. There's what you call proofread. And then there's a PDF aspect to it. Let's talk about all three.
1: Explain what they are. Okay. So the draft product, essentially, it's as I was saying, like, you know, imagine you're on page 170, you're reading clause like 23 or whatever. And essentially what you can do is like, you know, the document gets scanned and you highlight all the defined terms in the document as they're being used. So now when you're reading page 170, you can see these kind of light highlights on certain words. And because they're highlighted, you know, they're actually defined terms. So that's something now that has become clickable. So you double click it. And when you double click it, it appears in a panel on the right hand side with the meaning of that word so now that you're reading the context of what it is that you're looking at and reviewing you're able to also now see that additional information that you'd otherwise have to go searching for
0: was the prototype the prototype of draft yes and it's a plug-in we should say the product as it exists now is a plug-in to Microsoft Word
1: was the prototype a plug-in it was yes <laughs> because we knew as lawyers we knew that like you know word is where attorneys are most comfortable and we also knew that as attorneys there's a general resistance to kind of changing your workflow so what we kind of wanted to do was like ultimately it was augment that workflow with the minimal amount of disruption so we kind of knew that like well if we build a separate app that kind of means they're going to have to take their Word document and then import their Word document into this app. And then like they might make changes and then have to redo that in Word. So we kind of felt like that approach wasn't going to work. So we needed something that would allow the attorney to stay in their home environment of Word. So once we got that initial prototype done, then the question started to be, okay, well, like, Let's say they're reading this provision and they see this defined term in the panel on the right hand side. Like, what if then, you know, as a result of that reviewing and reading, they're kind of going, oh, damn, I need to change the definition. So now it becomes, okay, it has to be editable. And the editing that you do has to be able to be updated in the document, you know? So all these additional little things then came bit by bit afterwards so it was very much an iterative kind of process that first thing that we built and um, we kept seeing kind of little gaps in it where we had to fill and just so that people understand who are listening you know um when you look at let's say the document cycle for a legal document there's generally kind of like three phases you know there's the initial kind of document production which is that kind of area where The draft is being produced, you know, and then there's kind of like the phase in between where it's being negotiated back and forward between attorneys. And then there's kind of like that post-execution phase when the document has been signed. And I think, you know, where we were generally looking to sit ourselves is in that kind of document reviewing stage where The initial draft has been produced from the precedent documents or the standard form documents or the other side has sent you over the terms. And so the draft is in existence. But now that the draft is in existence, that's fine. It's going to go back and forward between people a lot. And every time it goes back and forward and comments are being made, you know that means you're having to review and read that document, make potential edits based on what those changes were. And that was the space where we kind of felt that like a lot of, you know, the work could be done, you know, because that's where a lot of the lawyers' work is. It's actually in that negotiating phase. That's where a lot of the kind of gold is in terms of what they do in their day-to-day work. So for us, it became very much a case of, well, let's tackle that area first. Let's see what we can do. So when does proofread come? You got your draft down, the phase one,
0: you got the drafting down. When does proofread come into play? When did you decide to do that? And what does it do? How does it distinctive
1: from draft? When you start looking at like kind of that third kind of phase, you know, like just before a document, let's say, is executed, um, it needs to be sanitized. So there are things that you need to do to the document, you know, let's say like making sure that like there's no drafting comments, making sure there's no square brackets, making sure that like, you know, Anything that has an open bracket has a closed bracket. Make sure that the formatting, let's say, is consistent. Make sure all, that. and again, like these were all things that, like you know, I struggled with identifying right. in documents
0: as a visually impaired person. And you're using a lot of text to speech. Does it tell you, hey, that this is the words capitalized? Like, how would you know that a defined terms missing in caps if you didn't have your product? A,
1: I would know by reading it. You know, uh, firstly, I'd know it's a defined term because of the context and how the word is just being used. For example, like, if at any time a change of control occurs, like, it would be quite intuitive for me to know that change of control is a defined term in that context of hearing that. What I wouldn't necessarily know from hearing, though, is whether or not, let's say, the change of control has been capitalized or not. And what I would typically have to do would be go character by character with my oh, wow. text-to-speech, because then I would hear CAP-C.
0: The initial text-to-speech would be the defined term, change of control, but then you'd have to stop and go back
1: and go character by character, character to make sure. Character by oh, character. Wow. Yeah, exactly. To understand whether something has actually been capitalized, because you know what I would hear auditorily I would hear, you know, cap O L, right. because I'm going character by character. That was really the only way I would know. Or if, for example, like, you know, we had Fergus shall give to the borrower and then you have something in closed right. brackets. Again, for me, I would hear that and you'd hear Fergus shall give to the borrower within reason. But you wouldn't hear the brackets.
0: You wouldn't, wouldn't tell necessarily
1: you to... hear the brackets. Correct. But now, definitely Proofread does all that for you. It fixes that. It fixes that. Yeah, it finds those errors and fixes them. And it finds a whole load of stuff. For example, it'll find things like if you have the numeric value 1 million, let's say, in numeric characters like one comma zero zero whatever and in some agreements then you have maybe beside it you'll have it actually also written in alpha yeah so you'll also then have like one million written as well in words um it'll find things like if there's a misalignment between those or if if the currency amount is inconsistent let's say or things like that
0: you start with draft yeah go through the negotiation you got a proofread you're ready to go and then you
1: push it to your pdf Product right, yeah. What the PDF product allows people to do is essentially imagine you've taken that document that has been executed and it's sitting in the repository, and you want to review it, or somebody else wants to look at it. Well, what the PDF product does actually is it brings to the PDF the same ability that you would have in draft for reading that PDF. So it will highlight all the defined terms. In the PDF, because we built it ourselves, we use our own OCR, etc. So now let's say you're on page 170 of the PDF and you see these defined terms being used. Well, you can actually double click those defined terms and they'll appear in a panel on the right hand side. What you don't get necessarily is the ability to obviously edit the PDF because the PDF is a signed document. It shouldn't be edited anyway. So it just makes, again, that reviewing and reading process in the post-execution cycle an awful lot easier. We also kind of have a fourth offering this as something that we call Vault. The idea behind it is essentially that like when a user or customers are using, let's say, our products, what they can do is essentially they can connect this Vault to their document repository system, and then they will upload... A bunch of, let's say, their gold standard documents, or the documents that they want to be used for reviewing, etc. And we'll index those so that now, for example, if you're reading a document and you're on a particular contract and you're reading it, and you've got something like, let's say, change of control, uh, let's say, because that's the example we're using in the document. What you can then do is, like, you can go and you can click on the vault product and. You could type in change of control. And what that will do then is that will resurface from all the documents in the repository the similar change of control provisions. And we kind of rank them, you know, in terms of a green-amber kind of system where this version of the change of control clause in this document is very similar to the one you're currently reading. So one of the things I found interesting about your story,
0: too, is you were in your 40s, I think late 40s, when... You guys started the company. It spoke to me because I was in my 40s when I founded my companies in the middle of my career. You're in the middle of your career. If you had to do it all over again, would you? I'm assuming the answer is going to be yes. And what would you tell somebody who had doubts about founding a company, leaving whatever their occupation was, leaving the practice of law, their account, whatever it is to found a company? What advice would you give
1: them to encourage them to do so? If it's somebody like me, I would say find a good co founder. And um, I think a lot of times when I think back on it and stories that I hear in the startup world now that we're in it, I think you find a lot of times one founder on their own, I don't know if they can do everything. And I think it's, it can be very difficult for them. And I think a lot of times it's like finding that other half of the puzzle where Like Namdi and I complement each other in so many different ways with our different strengths and insights. And I think it's being able to kind of acknowledge that and kind of go, you know what, I know I'm not good at this, but you're bloody good at this. And knowing those kind of strengths and weaknesses, I think, would be one of the first things. I think look for somebody that can fill in for the areas where you know you don't have your own strengths. And I think by the time you're the age you were or the age I was, as mature enough to know that I'm definitely more risk adverse. I'm definitely whatever. And Namdi is very good at these aspects and able to kind of sit back and go, he could be much more decisive than me. Do you know what I mean? I can be maybe right. sometimes too cerebral, whereas Namdi would be just like much more like, okay, just go with this. And I would go, okay, that's what we're going with the decisions made. Um whereas I would probably sit and think and think and think and then I won't say not execute, but time to execute will be slower. So the other thing is I think also like when I think about it, like when I look back, I kinda go, either you have the faith or the people around you have the faith and listen to them. If like four out of five people are saying, no, I genuinely think you have a really good idea here. You probably have a really good idea, but I wouldn't necessarily be asking the people that are closest to me because you want to get critical feedback as opposed to right. egoistic feedback. Is
0: that because you're you're not 23, dropping out of university to found a company you've got several years ahead of you to, to fail? Do you think it's more important that you make sure that the thing you're making the jump for at that age has got some positive feedback?
1: Yeah, I do. And I do think the age thing is different there because, you know, it's obviously much easier. I won't say much easier, but you have more time to recover a career. Right. I think you have more time to recover if it fails and try something else. I think as you get older, that window closes definitely. It plays a lot more on your mind. And I think it's one of the reasons why a lot of people who are older actually have great ideas because you have to understand, like, you know, and this is a thing that I I feel really strongly about. Like, you know, there's so many people, let's say, like us, that were in our forties, that have worked for 20 years. And we have these insights into things and we know if we could just do it this way, it'd be so much easier. But we don't necessarily make businesses out of those ideas because we're afraid of that closing window. We're like, damn, like if I jump now and this doesn't work, I'm gonna be fifty-three. I'm back looking for a new job. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, it can be scary. Agreed, agreed. Really scary. Yeah, it can be really scary, you know? And that's why I think like having that kind of positive feedback or that kind of reinforcement, I think one of the things I suppose that did give me some courage, I suppose, though, was also I knew if I did, let's say, have to go back to look for other work, I knew I had a very strong resume behind me of success and achievement. So I kind of always felt, well, look, no matter what, if it didn't work, I'll find something. Having done this will just add more to my skill set. But I think for me, definitely the most important piece of the puzzle was the co-founder piece. I don't know how you feel about that, but like for me, I think that was definitely a huge thing for me.
0: No, I think uh, co-founder is huge. Then, too, you've got someone else motivating you. It's just not you getting up every day saying, hey, I've got to make this work. I've got to make this work. Because you might have a bad day where you're less motivated, but your co-founder is, is there pushing you. So I agree. Yeah. Fergus, this is a great story. I really appreciate you coming on the show. If people want to learn more about Finally, get a
1: hold of you, where do you want them to go? They could go to our website. You should be able to find that at www.finally.com or they can find Myself or Namdi on LinkedIn. They can find me Fergus MacDade on LinkedIn or uh, Namdi Melifonu on LinkedIn. I will try to spell Namdi surname, but it is double N A M D I is his first name. But yeah, if they want to get in touch, they can get in touch with us that way.
0: And we should point out too, your name is spelled F E A R G U S, but I'll put links to all this stuff and links to the Defiler website on the episode page at tealpodcast.com. Fergus, thanks for your time. Appreciate it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. And thank you very much for taking the time to listen to the story and good luck with everything that you're doing.
0: Okay, that's a wrap for today's episode. As always, we really appreciate you listening. If you want to subscribe, you can find us on most major podcast platforms like Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, etc. Also, if you like us enough, I hope you leave us a favorable review. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, this has been Technically Legal.